All right, let's study God's Word. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. Usually when we study God's Word, we're learning from people who are living by the Holy Spirit or who have a word from the Lord or who have uh, wisdom to draw from or have uh, righteous acts that we can look at and model and copy. The Bible comes by inspiration of God. So every word that's written was from the Holy Spirit through the authors that wrote it. We know that, 1 Peter 1.21. And usually we have the example or the writing of somebody that loves the Lord and is telling us about the goodness of the Lord. But in our study this morning, we're actually going to learn from someone who wasn't walking with the Lord at all. Because throughout Scripture, there are examples of people who weren't walking with God, and yet, because every word of Scripture is profitable to us, and every word of Scripture is for our teaching and training and correction and discipline and understanding and growth, we can even learn from the example of somebody that was against the Lord and somebody that was turning away from the Lord. Now, in this, in this account that we're going to look at this morning, Absalom, who was the son of David, who was the great king of Israel, the one out of whom Jesus came out of the line of David, Absalom, the son, was really a spiritual metaphor for the nation of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that Israel did not walk with the Lord, rebelled against the Lord, and yet would justify it again and again. They, they thought they were doing right, or they believed that living for themselves was right, and then when God would try to correct them about it, they would be indifferent or be resistant to what he had to say. So Absalom really stands as a great metaphor for Israel, living for himself, living in opposition to the Lord, and not understanding what God was doing or the warnings that God was giving him. Now, here in 2 Samuel chapter 16, we see this account of part of his life. And due to a number of things that had happened in, in Absalom's background, he decided at this point, chapter 16, really it starts in about chapter 15, he decided that he would take David's kingdom by force. Now, David had not been king for very long. We know that he had become king after Saul, who was a miserable failure and who did not walk with the Lord. So David becomes king, and he has great acclaim, and he need, leads the nation in the right way. But due to some things that happen in the prior chapters, which I'll explain in a few moments, Absalom decides to take the kingdom for himself. Now, this is born out of a deep pride and kind of a personal restlessness, but there was also a, a both passive and aggressive kind of... Um, attack or, or, or kind of a punishment of David for disappointing Absalom personally in the way that he handled the situation. Now, again, I'll describe that in a few minutes. But uh, for the sake of our understanding uh, at the outset, it's important to realize that David knew what was going on. Absalom had been kind of in a systematic uh, attempt and a systematic undermining for a couple years to, to sway the will of the people and to try to to undercut David's leadership and undercut uh, David's popularity in the kingdom so that by the time Absalom decided that he was going to take over, there would be popular opinion behind him. And David understood this. David knew because he had a strong sense of God's blessing and favor. His heart was inclined toward the Lord. So God had helped him 
to know what was going on. And David had the confidence in his own life that as long as he was walking with the Lord and as long as he was trusting God and waiting faithfully with him, uh, for him, that the Lord would be with him. And yet, at some point, he has to flee Jerusalem because the tide has turned and the people are against him. And David has to flee Jerusalem with many people and run into the hills and hide. And at prior chapter, chapter 15, they initially take the Ark of the Covenant with them. And David says to the priest, don't take the Ark. Because David's goal at this point was not to try to manipulate the situation or try to leverage the Ark, which was indicative of the presence of the Lord. David says, if God is with us, then we'll know it. We don't need the Ark to, to indicate that we have power. If we're really with the Lord and the Lord's really with us and God is going to keep his promises, which you know he will, and he'll establish this kingdom, my kingdom forever, then we don't need to take the ark as a prop. Take it back to Jerusalem. We'll get back. But know that the hand of the Lord is going to be with us. David was confident in God's sovereignty. He was confident in God's hand of blessing. He knew that it would happen. And yet, he also asked the Lord for help. And what's fascinating here is in this text, and if you look back, we're not going to read it, verses 31, actually we will read it, verses 31 and 32 of chapter 15. When David finds out that his trusted counselor, whose name was Ahithophel, okay, Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor from the Lord during the first part of his kingship. But Ahithophel, chapter 15 turns into a traitor. And David prays very specifically to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm asking you, this trusted man that's been by my side, that's had the word of the Lord, we learn that chapter 16, verse 23, that, that his word was considered to be the word of the Lord. He says, Lord, I want you to turn his counsel. I want his counsel to become as foolishness. How many know the Lord loves it when we pray specifically and trust him to do things in his power that only he can do. This is what God does here. And notice how David asked specifically for it. Look at chapter 15, verse 31. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. When we pray, the Lord wants to see our faith and he wants to see, and let me put this word in quotes, he wants to see our wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of wisdom. The only wisdom I ever have is when I say to the Lord, Lord, I have no wisdom. Will you please give me wisdom? And God is very gracious to answer that prayer. But the Lord wants to see our wisdom when we pray. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that God wants us to show that we know with certainty, without hesitation, without wavering, how powerful he is, how concerned he is with the details of our lives, how much we trust that when we draw near to him, that he will draw near to us, and how much we understand that he can and will do something this specific. David doesn't pray, oh Lord, help me. It's a great prayer. One of the greatest prayers we can pray is, Lord, help me. Because it shows dependence and trust and belief that God can. But David goes specific here. He says, Lord, I have a problem. 
and Ahithophel, my trusted counselor, he's turned on me. I know his word's been good. I know he's heard from you. I don't understand what's going on or why he would go with my son, who you know is not living for you. And yet, Lord, here's my prayer. Twist his counsel. Make his counsel seem foolishness. Now, I believe the Lord loved that prayer because the Lord answered that prayer. God loves it when we call on him in dependency and we don't just say, oh, God, do this. We say, Lord, here specifically is what I would love to see you do because that would help the situation and that would bring honor to you. God loves those prayers. So that's what David prays. Now, as all this is taking place, go to the next set of verses. This is in verse 30 and beyond. They're walking out of Jerusalem. They're walking up the Mount of Olives. And they're weeping and they're mourning. And as this is taking place, David's friend Hushai comes along. Now Hushai shows that he is sensitive to the Lord and that he's aligned with David because he's also in mourning. He's also uh, hurt and, and saddened by what's taking place with Absalom. And he shows his loyalty to David here. And he says, I'm with you. I'll help you. What do you need from me? You know, when people are seeking the Lord, they will align themselves with whatever the Lord had his hand of blessing on. We can always tell how well we're walking with the Lord by who we're hanging out with. If we are aligning ourselves personally and spiritually with those who love the Lord and those who God is blessing, while also having an impact on those who don't know the Lord because our heart's sensitive to them, then we know that we're doing the right thing. But when we're around people that are dividing the people of the Lord, like Absalom was, we know that we're in trouble. Imagine the turmoil in Israel at this point as the nation divides and Absalom works for years to create this following and then he decides that this is going to go full tilt and, and, and he works against not only the king who's been anointed by the Lord and blessed by the Lord and is leading the people to follow the Lord as opposed to Saul, but he's also opposed to his dad. He's also in attack within his own family. Ahushai knows whom the Lord is with. And he knows who is with the Lord. And that's where he lines himself. Even though at this point, it's not only unpopular, it's probably personally dangerous. Because nobody knows what Absalom's intent is. He, for all intents and purposes, may want to kill David. He may want to wipe out the family. He may want to take over violently. And yet, because David's walking with the Lord and he's sensitive to the Lord's leading, Hushai aligns with him. And David, because he's sensitive to the Lord, says to himself, you know what, Hushai, there may be a really good reason why you're here. I think the Lord doesn't want you to go with us. I think the Lord wants to utilize you to, to thwart this plan, to bring about the victory that God wants to have and to continue to establish the kingdom that he's promised to me, Hushai, you're going to be instrumental. You're going to be the one that's going to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. You're following the names, right? Okay, Ahithophel, Hushai, I know that you wanted to name your kids those names, but you resisted. David says to Hushai, you're going to not only twist my old advisor's counsel, but you're also going to be an informant. As soon as you find things out, you go to the priest, and the priest will get word to me, because nobody needs to know you and I are lying. 
Now, fast forward to chapter 16, verse 15. With all that background, now let's get to the heart of what's going on. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with them. Notice how the Spirit doesn't leave out details. In fact, he highlights the detail. Now, it came about when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, another detail there, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Speaking of David. Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Besides, whom shall I serve? Shall I not serve in the presence of his son, as I served in your father's presence? So I'll be in your presence. In other words, no, you're the king now. The Lord and the people have approved you. And the same way I served your dad, I'm going to serve you because you're the king now, even though he hasn't been established as king. Then Absalom said to Hithophel, give your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go to your father's concubines, whom he's left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. Furthermore, 17.1, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he's weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people that are with him will flee. Then I'll strike down the king alone and I'll bring back all the people to you. The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now, the people are with Absalom at this point, and Absalom has the advantage of having Ahithophel on his side, who's been this trusted counselor and who has heard from the word of the Lord. But here comes Hushai, and the spirit is careful to say, David's friend, just to remind us, just to give us context. And he says, Hushai comes along, and the key with Hushai is, he acts initially like he's supportive of Absalom. Now, what's fascinating to me is when Ahithophel turned, Absalom didn't question his loyalty. He just said, awesome, come with me. This is great. I've got an advantage. But when Hushai comes along, Absalom's suspicious. Ahithophel turns. He he becomes a traitor. Absalom says, you're my man. You're my right hand. Don't leave me. But here comes Hushai, who is in the same position, actually a lesser position, but was known to be David's friend. And Absalom says, wait a second. Something's not right here. What's going on? Why are you here? Why aren't you with David? Now, this seems like a strange story on a beautiful May morning. But there's a point here. Because what we want to study this morning is how to have spiritual discernment. How to make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. And we're going to see it through Absalom's point of view. One of the questions that we constantly face as believers, or at least I do, so maybe this is just for me this morning, is how do I discern whether something is right? How do I discern whether something is really of the Lord or whether I'm being tricked and deceived and and led astray by the enemy? 
How do we know for sure it's the Lord? We have some ways I'll talk about in a minute, but, but this is going beyond those. Now, Absalom's not walking with the Lord, and yet we can learn from his life what is best for our lives and what is best for our spiritual maturation and our strength. God gives us a number of ways to learn and to discern. We have the Word of God, 66 books of God's revelation that tell us how to live, tell us about the Lord, tell us about mankind, tell us about the problem of sin, tell us about the amazing fact of redemption, and then tell us once you're saved, once you're a new person in Christ, how do you then live? It even tells us how it's all going to end, which we've been studying for the last 13, 14 weeks. So the Word of God is there. Then we have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God indwells us as believers, and He teaches us through the Word and through conviction and through counsel, and through mature believers, and through prayer. So we're told to study the word, to show ourselves approved, so that we won't sin against God, and we're told to be emptied of self, and filled with the Spirit, so that we can walk by the Spirit, as we yield to the Spirit. And yet there are times, when we don't quite get it. Maybe there's not a verse that we can cite or maybe the counsel that we go to and wise, mature believers that we say, what do you think? They're not sure and they they can't quite see what the best option is. And we have to discover, Lord, what do you want? The Lord will show us if we seek. And as believers, we want to really understand, we want to really be guided in those times But here's what's amazing to me about this passage, and here's what's amazing about the grace and mercy of God, that even in times where we're not walking with the Lord, even in times when we're away from the Lord, the Lord still instructs us. There are still red flags that he raises that say, don't do this, stop, this is not of my will, this is going to drag you farther from me, this is going to take you away from me. Instead, you need to be humble and you need to repent and you need to draw back close to me. That's what he's doing in Absalom's life here. Because as of chapter 16, verse 16, look back at it. It still isn't too late for Absalom to repent. It's still not too late for him to ask forgiveness of his father for this insurrection. He's going to have to go to the nation. He's going to have to explain himself. But it is very clear from the text. I don't have time to show you the, the verses. You can read it later. It's very clear from the text that David loved Absalom deeply. That even in the time of this resistance and this attack and this attempted overthrow of the government, that David loved his son so much that he even tells his commanders as they're going out to find Absalom in the sight of all the people, he says, don't harm him. Don't touch him. My son is out there and we're going to go find him and we're going to quell this rebellion. But I'm telling you, commanders, you three, people listen now, do not harm him. Now, that wasn't because David said, I want you to bring him back to me and I'm going to gut him like a pig in front of everybody. It was because he loved him and he didn't want anything to happen to him. He recognized his youthfulness. He recognized his anger and, and what had happened. And he says to them, do not hurt him. Even as David runs into the wilderness and hides in caves like a criminal, he says, please be sure, don't harm him. 
So it's not like Absalom, if he repents at this point, is going to be hung up uh, on a stake. He's going to be forgiven. He's going to be restored. That's what makes these verses, chapter 16, verses 16 to 19, just four verses, that makes them such an important interchange that the Spirit gives us. It's so key to the text. Because starting here, the Spirit gives us three distinct red flags that the Lord shows us that even in his sin, Absalom should have had the discernment to see and to stop what he was doing. And that has application for us this morning because hopefully none of us is walking in rebellion to the Lord. And God, in his mercy, shows us these things to guide us in our decision-making so that we will have direction and leading and confidence in times where his will maybe isn't completely abundantly clear to us. So let's look at the first one, chapter 16, verse 18. Here we see that Absalom should have known that the Lord had not chosen him and was not with him. Hushai says to him, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen. Now, it was true that the people had chosen him. It was true that the tide had turned. It was true that the nation was behind him. But there was no way that Absalom could have said, that's a true statement, and the Lord really is with me. There's no way that Absalom could have said, the Lord has chosen me. It was so clear that he had chosen David. And this should have been the most obvious red flag. This should have been the one where Absalom said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. That statement's not true, and that needs to tell me something. And I need to stop for just a moment because I'm not doing the right thing. See, Absalom's rebellion was built out of four things. It was built out of anger. Absalom was bitter, and he was upset, and he was ticked off, and I'm using those words lightly, because his half-brother Amnon had sexually assaulted his sister Tamar and had not made it right, and there was turmoil in the family, and Absalom could not get over the bitterness in his heart, which was so profound that he ended up having Amnon and the others murdered. So Absalom's rebellion was born out of anger. Second, it was born out of revenge. This is what drove him, not just Amnon and the crime that he had committed, but the fact that in his sight, that David didn't do enough about it. And for two years, he stewed because David said, I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to allow you to come to the palace. You're not coming over for Thanksgiving. There's going to be no connection between you and me. Absalom thought that was unfair, but David was doing it to discipline him. So at this point, he's hostile toward his dad. Then his rebellion is built out of pride. He feels shut out. And in chapter 15, he starts to conspire to steal the hearts of the people. And he stands by the gate of the city. And he starts to say, you don't need to go to David. I'll be the judge. I I I have that ability. Let me start to evaluate your situations. Because in his own mind, he should have been a judge. Even though he's unfair and he's full of spite and he's not walking with the Lord and he's a murderer. There isn't one verse in this text where it says, Absalom sought the Lord. 
Absalom called on the Lord. Absalom asked the Lord what he should do. It was all about him. And the fourth problem he had was that he rebelled against the Lord's anointed. Whenever we set ourselves against whom the Lord clearly has his hand on, we are in grave danger of God's discipline. And it causes us to make poor decisions because we don't have wisdom from the Spirit. And that's exactly what happens here with Absalom in verse 17. When Hushai comes up and he says, I'm with you, long live the king, long live the king. There's been no coronation. There's been no pouring of oil. There's been no anointing. This is all in Absalom's head at this point. But here comes Hushai, David's friend, and he says, oh, you're the king. This is wonderful. I'm following you. And Absalom is uneasy. Now, the question I had was, why does he need Hushai's help? He has Ahithophel. Ahithophel is a trusted counselor. Ahithophel knows David's thinking. He knows the way David acts. Really, he doesn't need anything else. His word was as good as the word of the Lord. So why does he mess with Hushai? Especially when he's restless about it. He has an uneasiness in his heart that, that this guy is not right. You see, even though he's away from the Lord, he, he heard the word of the Lord to some extent in his heart. And he must have ignored it, or maybe he thought, it's really cool. I got Ahithophel, and now I've got Hushai. I wonder who else I can turn from my dad's kingdom. Whatever the case, Absalom was aware there was a problem, but he ignored it. So he accepts Hushai. And then you see in the next verse, verse 20, he turns back to Ahithophel, and he says, now tell me what to do. What's your counsel? You've been trustworthy in the past. You have good advice for me. So, so what do you think is best here? He figures Ahithophel's counsel is still reliable because it had always been reliable. And now he takes it. Quick to rationalize that what he was doing was right. Quick to rationalize, well, if it was true before, then it's true now. If God was with him before, then God's with him now. I can trust this counsel even though I'm not living right. See, this is one of the most effective tactics by the enemy, and we have to recognize it and deny it. Absalom puts all his cards on the table with Ahithophel, and he says he still has the right counsel, even though Ahithophel's not faithful to the Lord and Absalom's not faithful to the Lord. And the spiritual principle is that if we trust the word of somebody who is unfaithful to the Lord, we're going to get burned. Ahithophel's counsel was not effective from a spiritual standpoint. From a tactical standpoint, it was the right advice. But Absalom's heart was so divided, he couldn't discern what was going on, and he couldn't discern it because the Lord didn't allow him to discern it. Second red flag, would you see in chapter 16, verse 18, that Absalom should have known that the Lord will not bless what strikes at the heart of of unity and strength among God's people. Let me say that again. Absalom should have known that the Lord will not bless what strikes at the heart of unity and strength among God's people. In other words, God will not bless what messes with His people. God will not bless what messes with His body. God will not bless what messes with His church. God will not bless what messes with His ministry to the lost. He will not approve of it. 
And Absalom should have known that. But he had started down the path and he was not going to turn back. And at this point, chapter 16, verse 18, there is no way he's going to succeed. He should have recognized that because the hand of the Lord was on David and David was restoring the nation back to worshiping the Lord. What's especially ironic about this is that Ahithophel's counsel was actually right. Ahithophel actually told him the tactical best move. Now, let's take it apart a little bit. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 4, what he told Absalom to do. Three things. He says, show control over David's house by defiling his concubines. Now, David had left behind ten women who were concubines. A concubine was a woman who was the member of the royal family, who was not a wife, but was like a servant. And by Jewish law, by the law of the Old Testament, a man was not allowed to have relationship with the concubine because that would have been defiling the adultery clause of the Ten Commandments. So this woman was there to serve. So it would have been both sinful and an act of complete dishonor by Absalom toward David to then go have sexual relations with each of these concubines. But Absalom is absolutely open about it. In fact, they set up a tent on the roof of the palace and he goes in with all these women because he wants everybody to know, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and I am overtaking my father's kingdom. There's no shame because power corrupts and love of power corrupts. So Absalom goes and he defiles these concubines. The second thing Ahithophel says is attack David at his point of weakness. Go after him at night when he's weary and when the people are tired and they're going to be a little bit despondent and go with a lot of people, 12,000. Let's take a big army and let's go hit them where it counts, when it hurts, when they're not ready, when they're tired. Let's attack at the greatest point of weakness. And third, don't mess with the people. Absalom, get David. Don't worry about his commanders. Don't worry about Joab and Nathan. Don't worry about the wife. Don't worry about the people that are with him. Just get David. Because if you get David, the people will recognize that you're in control and they will yield. Now, why do we care about Ahithophel's plan 4,000 years ago? Well, we care about it because these three approaches are the same strategic plan that the enemy uses against every church, every family, every marriage, and every relationship. First, corrupt what is pure. Attack and undermine what is pleasing to the Lord and make it seem acceptable and palatable and reasonable to go against God. So the devil wants to, in our marriages, churches, families, relationships, he wants to corrupt what is pure. Second, he wants to hit at our greatest weaknesses. Whether it's pride or emotionalism or control or relational dependency or relational independency, whatever it is, he wants to go after us and he wants to hit us in our weakness to try to chip away at the strength of the foundation that we have in Christ. 
So when does the devil attack? Not when you're praising the Lord, not when you're joyful, not when you're sharing the gospel. He hits you when you're tired and discouraged and emotional and weak and when your defenses are low. And we have to be very aware of the vulnerability of those times and go quickly to the Lord in prayer and to race to the word or to call another brother or sister and say, pray for me right now. I'm under attack. I need your help. See, our tendency during those times is to isolate. I'm so discouraged and I'm so depressed. I just need to get to myself. And the devil's going, yep, you do. You and me alone. Let's go at it. And God says, no, this is why he gave you the body. This is why he gave you prayer. This is why he gave you my word. This is why I gave you my spirit. You draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you, and I'm greater than him. You get near me, because the devil hits on our weaknesses. And third, the devil goes after the heart of the matter. He's very coy in that he'll hit us and distract us on the minor issues. And while we're so focused on the minor issues, he's cutting away at the big issues. So how does this work? Well, it works in marriage. We don't fight about the big things. We fight about the little garbage, right? Literally, sometimes the garbage. Take it out. Or whether you did things a certain way, or whether how you spoke to the kids, or whether you closed the door, or whether you turned the light off, or whether you put the toilet paper the right way. I mean, these are the issues that rub and grind at our marriage. And the devil says, good, get all caught on that and fight that. Because in doing that, I'm cutting right at the heart of the strength of the marriage. Or he goes into our families and he irritates us. And our kids get frustrated with us. And we get frustrated with our kids. And pretty soon, the respect level starts to go down. And doors are slammed. And we don't talk to each other. And he says, listen, I'm not as concerned that they're on the iPod, although you are. What I'm concerned about is I want to breach in the relationship. So keep on focusing on that whole iPod thing. Or he goes after churches. And he says, let's struggle. Let's disagree about little junk. Let, let's, let's have conflict about things that don't matter. Because if you can do that, you won't want to worship together. And you won't want to pray together. And you certainly aren't going to spur each other on to love and good works. You're not going to edify each other. You're going to tear each other down. And that's exactly what I want. I want the church to be broken. You see, the same way that Ahithophel says... Go after David is the same way the enemy says, go after each other. And we have to be very wise about this and not succumb to it. Because what seems like a leading is really a trap that appeals to our pride. And the goal is only destruction. So the Bible says, resist the devil and he will do what? He'll flee from you. Stand firm for the faith. Protect yourself against the attacks that divide. Put on the armor of God. God's equipped you. He's given you everything you need to be wise against the wiles of the devil. It's a great King James word that means cunning tricks and deceit. The enemy's goal this week for you and me is to cunningly trick us and deceive us and divide us. So we will not walk with the Lord and so will not encourage each other. And we have to say, absolutely not. 
I will not allow it. If my spouse does something that irritates me, I will swallow and say, I am not going to get irritated by that because the devil wants me to, and I am going to stay unified with my spouse. If my kid bugs me, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to explode. I'm not going to have a short temper. I'm going to say, Lord, help me to deal with this rebellious kid. Help me to deal with it as a wise, godly person that can now teach my child the way that they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. When somebody in the church irritates me, I'm not going to go talk to somebody else about it. I'm going to say, Lord, help me to have grace to this person and to go to them and say, you offended me, and not to involve other people. See, this is what the devil wants, and we see it because that's what he tells Absalom. This is the way to do it. That's why this is good strategic counsel. But for some reason, Absalom doesn't listen to it. And what he does next is very hard to understand. Look at verse 5. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai, the archite also. Let's hear what he has to say. When Hushai had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel spoken thus. Should we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. Why he asked that is beyond our understanding. So Hushai says to Absalom, this time the advice that Ahithophel has given you is not good. Moreover, you know your father and his men that they're like mighty men and they're fierce, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father's an expert in warfare and he's not going to spend the night with the people. Behold, he's now hidden himself in one of the caves or in another place. And it will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears it will say there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even the one who's valiant, whose heart is like a lion, will completely lose heart. For all Israel knows your father's a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant. In other words, if you attack Absalom and you hit the people that aren't with David and you kill the women and children, everybody's hearts are going to turn. Even the people who are with you the most, they're going to abandon you. So, verse 11, I counsel that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand that's by the sea in abundance and that you personally go into battle. So we shall come to him in one of the places where he can be found. And we'll follow him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and of all the men who are with him, not even one will be left. And if he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes and will drag it into the valley until not even one stone's found there. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Now why did this happen? Look at the end of the phrase. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel so the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Go back to verse 5. Ahithophel's given a good plan, a strategic plan, a plan that will be effective. And Absalom says, that's great. Now, Hushai, what do you think? Do you disagree? Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Now, that had to make Ahithophel feel like dirt. And we know it does because in verse 23, he's so despondent that Absalom doesn't take his advice that he goes and kills himself. So Ahithophel is despondent and Hushai comes along and he says, this is bad counsel. Now, the only explanation we have for that is the Lord had set it up for Ahithophel's counsel to be rejected. He had a great record. He was a close advisor and he knew how David thought. Why did Absalom need anybody else? And yet Absalom, in his delusion, says to himself, I need somebody different. And the problem was, 
that the Lord wasn't with him, so he couldn't determine what was right and what was wrong. So verse 7, Hushai tells Absalom, Ahithophel's wrong. You know your dad. He's strong and his men are fierce and they're mighty and they're going to defend themselves. And your dad's way, way too tactical to spend the night with the people. Now here's a serious miscalculation by Absalom because he knows his father, even as it related to Amnon. One of David's strengths and one of David's weaknesses was that he had a heart for the people and he was humble and he did not feel worthy of his position. So he never would have separated himself from the people out of self-preservation. He would have stayed right in there and walked around and patted on the back and encouraged them. Thank you for helping me. The Lord bless you. The Lord help you. He never would have said, you know what? I'm too big for you people. If you get killed, who cares? Because I'm king. So I'm going to go hide in a cave and you guys fend for yourselves. David never would have done that. And Absalom should have known that. So he should have known this was bad counsel. And then Hushai says, you need to get the people to go with you. Another mistake, because we all know the history of Israel and how timid and how selfish and how unfaithful they were, not to mention how little courage they had to fight the enemy. So that was bad counsel. This counsel lacks in logic. And then he tells them the last thing. Personally lead them into battle. Now Absalom should have known that was garbage, if for no other reason than the emotional component. Because so far, all the rebellion had been behind the scenes. So far, all the rebellion had been away from David. He'd stirred the hearts of the people and tried to manipulate and gotten people behind them. And then he went in Jerusalem only after David left. He had not yet confronted his father face to face. So if he leads them into battle, guess what? At some point, he and his dad are going to be standing across from each other with their swords drawn. Is he ready for that? Is he willing to take it that far? This was bad advice. And yet, why did Absalom take it? Third red flag. There was a complete appeal to his pride. Pride is so insidious and pride is so subtle that we have to closely examine the ways it appeals to us and tries to lure us to satisfy ourselves, even if we feel justified in doing it, when all pride wants to do, listen now, is to destroy us. The only goal our pride has is to destroy us. Look at the intricacies of verses 8 to 13 and listen to what Absalom's hearing in Hushai's words. Your dad's very strong, but you will be stronger. Your dad is very tactical, but you're going to outthink him and you're going to outsmart him. And your dad's very mighty, but you're going to overwhelm him. And your dad is respected and popular, but wait till you show him how the hearts of the people are with you. And by the way, not going to say this out loud, Absalom, but you know it. Your dad is the real king. But you're going to take it from him. You're going to physically overwhelm him and overthrow him and rule the nation. Now why should Absalom have known, I'm done, why this was... A joke. 
in the first plan Ahithophel, all the wise old tribe leaders, the old men sitting around said, that's a good plan. The second time, when Hushai comes along and says, this is how you should do it, notice, they don't say anything about the tribal leaders. They say the people thought it was a good plan. In other words, Absalom at this point doesn't take the wise counsel. He takes the will of the people. He takes the crowd's counsel. And he never goes to the Lord because he didn't care about the Lord's counsel. The bottom line is he did what he wanted to do no matter how it affected others. And the end result, you may know the story, is they go into battle and he's riding on his mule and his thick hair gets caught in an oak tree and he's hanging suspended. And somebody comes back and tells uh, David's commander, Joab, he's hanging in a tree. Joab says, don't touch him. I'm going to go take care of it. Now remember, David said to Joab, don't mess with him. And Joab comes up with some spears and plunges it right into his heart. Takes his body down, buries him in the ruins. Absalom ignored the warnings of God. God was gracious and said, one of these is right, but it has an uncertain outcome. But the other one is clearly flawed because it has characteristics that I will oppose and I will defeat. Now, as believers, we have much more discernment in Absalom because we're taught and led by God's word and by his spirit. So there should be little question naturally what's right. But in those times when we're not sure, when we're trying to determine whether something's from the Lord, God will send us indications. He'll send us red flags. He will warn us and say, don't do this because if you do, I'm not going to be pleased with you. Let's close our eyes. You may be at that place this morning. Stop for just a moment now. You may be at that place this morning. Maybe you're heading toward danger. Maybe you're already down that path. And honestly, the enemy is pushing you to move forward in what is contrary to the Lord. So I want to challenge you this morning and encourage you, you better make sure it's really the Lord that's affirming your decisions. You better make sure that those decisions are not going to divide and they're not going to promote your pride. And where you're unsure, I want to encourage you this morning, ask the Lord to give you wisdom to guide your heart and your mind. To make sure that what you are doing and the path you're on will only be pleasing to him. If you need counsel this morning, you need encouragement, you need somebody to pray with you, that God would help you to discern what he wants, I'd be glad to do that. Prayer band will be up here after the service. They'd be glad to pray with you and encourage you. But don't keep walking down a path that's going to be destructive. There is no question that the Lord will bless us when we live for Him. There's no question that the Lord will bless us when we seek His wisdom and His will and His leading. And I want to encourage you this morning, recommit your heart to that. It's easy heading into summer now to feel dull and to be distracted 
other things going on and you'll pick it up in the fall. No, this is when the enemy's going to attack. Recommit yourself this morning. Lord, I want to only be a person after your heart. I want you to lead me and you to guide me and you to give me discernment. Lord, I need that in my own life this morning. We certainly need that as a church. That you would guide and direct our paths. That we would not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And Lord, the ungodly is us when we walk in our pride and when we yield to sin. We're away from you. So Lord, I pray this morning for my own life and for the life of each person that's here that we would continue every day to draw closer to you. To be right in the center of your will. That we would seek you fervently and say, Lord, guide us. And Lord, when we don't see it clearly, that you would bring those red flags along that would warn us and say, stop, you're going the wrong way. Father, we thank you that you're so gracious that even when we're not walking closely to you, that you still do that because you want us to be close to you. So Lord, help us. Encourage us this morning. Strengthen us for this battle because you are greater than the enemy. And Lord, you will help us. You promise us that as your children that you'll help us. So Lord, we yield ourselves to you. And we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, we trust you and we praise you and we love you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.